while they were singing that song, I just felt like the, there may be somebody who's part of our streaming family, somebody who's in this room, and that, that chain that needs to be broken just seemed to be ever more pronounced in your life. I feel like we need to pray specifically that the Lord right now, by the power of His Spirit, would break that chain. Whatever that chain is, you know, let's just, let's come to him with whatever chains we've got. Lord, we wouldn't be doing this if we could fix this on our own. We wouldn't be asking you to do something if we felt like we had the power to change it. We can't, Lord. We can't. We confess the chain. We confess the sins that the chains have produced in our lives. We've chosen. We've led it. But Lord, we want to be free in the name of Jesus. We confess the sin of agreeing with those chains. We plead the blood of the Lord Jesus to cleanse us from the sin of those chains. And Lord, right now, by the power of your Spirit, we ask you to break those chains emotionally, mentally, memories from the past, whatever it is that is binding us and keeping us from being all that you want us to be, keeping us from running hard after you, Lord Jesus. We ask you right now in your power to just break those chains, break those chains and set us free in Jesus' name. And all the Lord's people said out loud, amen, amen, amen. We're talking about power this morning and a different kind of power maybe, but I feel like this has to do with leadership. And when we talk about leadership, some folks will say, well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just a mom. Guess what? You are a leader. Now, they may not all be following you like you'd want them to 24-7, but you're a leader. Dad, God has ordained, God has picked you out, chosen you to be a leader in your family of your children. God may have given you a business. God may have put people under you. You're a leader. You're a leader. And folks, you hear us say this often around here, but I just got to say it again as we get started this morning. If you think the Lord can be contained in these 66 books, and when you lay your Bible down and you go off to work, You've left the God of the Bible behind, and you're on your own. That's a lie that the enemy wants us to believe as the Lord's people. That he's just a Sunday God. He's just a verses of the Scripture God. He's just a hymn-singing God. He's just a church-building God. He can be contained. He can be limited. He can be held back. And the rest of our lives, we're just on our own. Wrong. He is where you are. You as a child of the living God through faith in Jesus Christ, the scripture says you've become the temple where the Lord lives. So we carry him. He meets with us. He goes with us wherever we go. And as leaders, as leaders, there can be times when we find ourselves 
needing power to get up and go again. To get up as a leader and go again. I'd like for you to put the graphic back up here and leave it up there for just, just a little bit. Finding power to get up and go again. Now, this is going to be a test of how old some of us are. Some of you sitting here, still breathing, heart still pumping, are going to know who that number 14 is. For most, we wouldn't have a clue of who the man named Y.A. Tittle is or was. He was born in Marshall, Texas, deep east Texas, played college football at LSU, and went into the NFL professional football league and team for teams here in the United States for 17 years, for 17 years. Now, where we're going with in this is that I want to ask you to try to take that picture of Y.A. Tittle and take the face and the expression on the face of that man and transfer it to 1 Samuel chapter 30, where we'll step back into the life of David one more time. Why Tittle, in his final season, was photographed in this way, bloodied, kneeling down in the end zone after a tackle by a defender left him helmetless. Also, they found out later, he had a cracked sternum. His chest bone, as we would call it, was broken, and he had a concussion. He finished that game, and he also finished the season, his 17th season, 38 years of age. This is one of the most iconic images in North American sports history. Y.A. retired as the NFL's all-time leader in passing yards, passing touchdowns, attempts, completions, and games played. He was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 1971, and his jersey number 17 has been retired by the New York Giants. Cracked sternum. Concussion. I believe he would also play another game or two in that season, 1964, 1964, with a broken jaw. Somehow, some way, Y.A. Tittle from Marshall, Texas, by way of LSU, 17 years into the NFL. 38 years young, broken, bleeding, whipped. 
in many senses, still found power to get up and go again. Now, folks, I'm not trying to make him a Sunday school teacher. Not trying to make Wyatt Tittle a saint. But there's an expression in the man's life. And you've known some people like that who just by way of the strength of their character, just because they were determined not to quit, impacted profoundly your life. And you look back at them as beacons of strength hope and vision. Now, not everyone is going to have the physical talents that a professional football quarterback would have. But I'm telling you, the Lord knows the capacity of leadership, the assignment of leadership that he has put you in. You're the parent of those babies because God ordained that you, you, should be the parent of those babies. He picked you out as you as a child of his. Lord, I want my life to honor you. You've given me these talents, and I want to use them for your glory. So he's given you a business that, that's that meshes with how you're wired and what you're skilled to do. You realize that you might not be the, be the smartest or the sharpest knife in the batch, but you're doing what you're doing because you believe God has given that to you. He has, he has opened that door for you. The number one thing you and I need to know and keep a hold of and hang on to as you look into David's life is you didn't come up with where you are by yourself. You are there because the Lord God wanted you to be there. He answered the cries of your heart. He, if you're looking at the expressions of answers to prayer. You, 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 you have a vision, you have a direction, and you love creating a team. And, and so here you go, climbing that Mount Everest in your life. Where'd that come from? We're created in his image, and he has gifted us and assigned us to lead. It's important to keep in mind, too, that if he's called you, assigned you to lead, you can't hand that leadership off to an assistant. The assistant may assist, but the buck stops at your desk, Dad, Mom. We, 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 we can say, I'm not worthy, I'm not capable. Well, that's saying that the Lord didn't know what he was doing when he picked you out. So he invites us in the places where he's assigned us to look to him to train us, to teach us, to inform us, to shape us so that we can grow into the being of all that he has desired for us to be in that, in that place. Sometimes in the role of a leader, things can come out of the crazy blue that you didn't know 
was even on the horizon. And in the case of David, this was the worst of the worst that could happen to him. More than likely, David is approaching 30 years of age. He may be 30. Scripture will say he became the king of the southern tribes when he turned 30 and all of Israel at 37. But David doesn't know what's on the Lord's calendar. This is important. David, for 10 or 12 years of his life, from the time that he he killed Goliath as the shepherd boy and his reputation blew up all across not only Israel, but the surrounding nations. Saul, the king at the time, recognized, and many of you remember this story, know it well, studied it on your own. David was the victim of Saul's jealousy because of his popularity and because of the fact that Samuel had anointed David to be the next king in Saul's place. That, That resulted in David becoming, for the better part of a decade, a political refugee. The victim of the rage, the victim of all of the resources that an angry monarch could vent against one man. That was David. But David was the anointed king over Israel in waiting. It wasn't his day yet. It wasn't his time yet. And the Lord was taking those 10 to 12 years as years of some of the most amazing preparation in a young man's life. When we read what David wrote about how the Lord was his strength, how the Lord was his rock, how the Lord was his refuge that he ran into, how the Lord was his high tower, about how he knew that the Lord would pick him up out of floods and set his feet upon a rock out of the miry clay and out of the torrential rain and flood. All of those things, folks, that he came to learn about the greatness, the bigness, the personal touch of his God. He learned those things in that decade of wilderness, being a political enemy, having to trust the Lord for where he was going to, what he was going to eat and where he was going to sleep and what he was going to drink, and not just for himself, but for those who would gather around him. The Lord was teaching him administrative skills by the assignment to somehow get this band of 600 men and their families who wanted to be with David, somehow manage them and put up with them and calm them down and direct them and turn them into something useful. God was using that season just like he's using that season in your life, leader. You you, you don't even know fully the direction as far as what's going to happen by the end of June and where you're going to be next October. The one thing you know and that's real in your heart is, Lord, I'm doing my best to follow you, to to do, to run my business, to, to lead my family in a way that I believe honors you. 
I'm wanting to trust you, and I'm wanting to obey you, the two biggies. Without faith, it's impossible to please you. Those who come to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Hebrews 11, 6. Lord, I'm desiring to trust you, and Lord, I want to obey you. That was David, and he was living through this wilderness for those years, and then at the end of the season, though he doesn't know it's the end of the season because he can't see all of the Lord's calendar for him, just like you and I can't many times. At the end of the season, the worst of the worst happens to him and to his men. With that face of Y.A. Tittle in mind, I want you to go with me, please, to 1 Samuel 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30. And I want to read again and summarize again this section in David's life. He is only days now, if not weeks now, away from Saul, the king who had persecuted him, from Saul's death and Jonathan's death and the two other sons of Saul. It would be the same Philistine warring band that David had been protected by, given the city, the Philistine city Ziklag to live in where they'd put their families. He was safer with the enemies of Israel than he was in Israel itself because of what Saul had against him and how Saul was hunting him. It would be the same band that David left and goes to Ziklag and sees what's happened at Ziklag, that same band would be the ones that would march to Mount Gilboa and on Mount Gilboa, Saul would be slain and his three sons. That hasn't happened yet, but it's fixing to. And at the moment that Saul is killed, the door is open for David to ascend the throne in at least part of Israel. His worst nightmare, his worst days were about to be over, it seemed. He didn't know it. God did. The plan was in place. But right before the breakthrough, Right before the fulfillment of David's destiny in another whole season and chapter began to unfold, it's as if the enemy saved the worst for last. And from that place, how did David gain power to get up and go again? I went through that history of David's life just so you'll know, this was not a one-time, two-week kind of event. This was the culmination of 10 to 12 years of being hunted and hated and lied about and having to do whatever he could to survive. And all the while, he's the chosen of God. He's the picked out next king of Israel. And yet he was walking through that season in his life. I'm just telling you, some of you are wondering. There's been a dream planted in your heart. There's been a promise spoken to you, maybe a prophetic promise or word spoken over your life in some time past, and you've been pursuing that as best you can, but it seems as if the journey has, been, has just been full of rocks and potholes and hornets and copperheads and crazy people. 
Yeah, just, just take a number behind David. The man after God's own heart. And get hope from the fact that the Lord wasn't wasting David's sufferings. The Lord was using those sufferings to press him into his God. So that he would know better than anybody else. If all I have is my God, you better get out of my way. If all I have is my God, he will finish what he started with me. Okay. Now look at 1 Samuel 30, verse 1. Then it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had made a raid on the Negev and on the Ziklag and had overthrown Ziklag and burned it with fire. And they took captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great, without killing anyone, and carried them off and went their way. They captured everyone to turn them into slaves. That's why they didn't kill them. They were going to turn them into slaves, keep them or sell them as slaves. And when David and his men came up to the city, Behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people, the men, the men of war who were with him, lifted their voices, and look at this, and wept until there was no strength in them to weep. Now David's two wives had been taken captive, Ahinoam and Abigail, verse 6. Moreover, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him. For all the people were embittered, each one because of his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Now, if, if you're the head of a something... And something bad happens in that organization, and you're the head of it. You may not be directly responsible for it, as David was not in this case, but you can flat out get blamed for it. Do I have a witness? That if David had done something different, if we left some guards or sentries here that could have at least got sent word to us we could have come sooner, this wouldn't have happened. So David gets blamed. Just so you'll know that David wasn't always accompanied by godly people like Samuel and Abiathar and, and others. Just so you'll know who this group was, what they were made up of. Skip over. Skip over to verse 22. Down to verse 22, same chapter. Then all of the wicked... And worthless men among those who went with David answered and said, because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered. Now that's at the end of the story. The Lord tells David to, after he's been strengthened in the Lord, he's, he's given instruction to chase down, pursue, overtake the Amalekites, and that he would recover everything. <laughs> 
Well, so out of the 600, you, you find that 200 were too hired to go, tired to go any farther. So it was David and 400 men that went and caught up with, as the Lord gave direction through various ways, here's where they were. They didn't have any GPS. They had no satellite tracking. They didn't know where in the world their wives, sons, and daughters had been taken. But the Lord did. The Lord directed their steps. But this section in here about these worthless, these worthless men who went with David, those were some of David's 600. Those were some of the ones that, that were supposedly a part of his supporters. <laughs> a part of his group. But when they had overtaken the Amalekites and they left the 200 behind because they were too tired, the summoned the 400 with all of the spoils of war, they didn't want to share anything with the ones who didn't fight. And so they said, don't leave them anything. Give them back their, their, their wives and their children, their personal property. But the rest of this, they didn't earn it, to which David implemented that tactic, that plan, that procedure, that protocol, that the ones who guard the baggage are every much entitled to the spoils of war as the ones who draw the sword and, and, and pull the bow. But, but the, the point I'm trying to make there is, look, look at the description. How, how, how would you like to be in charge of, a, of an organization that the Bible would say it's made up of wicked and worthless men? Among those who went to, some of you are saying, I, that's my story. <laughs> that's how it got so bad. It's because there was wickedness and worthlessness go operating in the deal. So David, when, when it, we find that they, they, they were weeping until there was no strength left. And it was because the people were so embittered, the men were so embittered at the loss of their families and then they blamed David, but there really was no sense of, of, a, of a very clear moral compass inside these men, that, that David literally was in a precarious position. This was mutiny, that this was the contemplation of a revolt against the leadership to put David to death. This is at the end, folks. Listen, I'm telling you again, 10 years, a hunted like an animal, treated worse than a dog. All he had was his God. And then this happens. His wives, his family, his things, now taken. Oh, folks. When you read this in the light of what we can see now was going on with David, there can be just such a sense of exhilaration rising up in our hearts. Lord, maybe that's what you're doing with me. And here it is. That as David neared the end of this extensive and intensive training, preparation, for him to be the king, the man after God's own heart, to rule over a nation but also have influence internationally and to blow up the borders of Israel farther than they've ever known. It was vital to the Lord who picked him out and who picked you out to know that when there is the heat and the fire of earthly disappointment and shock and fear. 
it has been established in our souls that instead of running from our Lord, we run to Him. That whatever the devil throws, no matter how unfairly he fights, it will do nothing more than to press us in closer and tighter and deeper with the God whom we know gave us this assignment in the first place. So it says David encouraged himself in the Lord. I want to give you a couple of further perspectives. For some reason, I just haven't been able to get away from this passage, and we, we spent a couple of weeks on it a few weeks ago, but there's, there's somebody in leadership who needs to hear this, and your role is vital, your role is critical in finishing out what God has you assigned for to complete and to do. Finding power to get up and go on includes the understanding settled in your heart that when the fire hits, when the news comes, when it looks as if all is lost, get away. Get away. Get away. You say, well, how in the world could he do that? He, he was in the middle of these men. I don't know what he did, and I don't know how he did it. I don't know if he went up and climbed up on top of a ridge line and squatted down under a scrubby old bush to find some shade for 15 or 20 minutes or an hour. But he got away from the panic noise. He got away from the fearing noise. He had to get away from people in order to get alone with his God. Because he knew that the people couldn't give him what he needed. To get up and go again. If it was going to come from anywhere, it was going to come out of heaven into his heart. I'm telling you folks, David had been there before just like you have been there before. Maybe not to this degree in David's life. But he knew what it was and he would write in Psalm 18, shortly after this has happened, He's acknowledging that Saul has been killed and Jonathan is gone. And now the way is cleared for him to become what the Lord has said he was all along. But he says, I love you, Lord, my strength. I love you, Lord, my strength. You are my rock. You are my refuge. You are the one who has strengthened me, David, like you and like me. Had to get away from the panicking voices, from the earth-chained voices, and get into the presence of the one who had called him. Can I say to you, leader, can I say this to you? Will you open your heart and hear it? Getting away when the dam is broken Getting away when the worst of the worst has come upon you, surrounds you, threatens you. Getting away and into his presence is not a luxury. 
It is an absolute necessity for your soul strength. You spend all your time listening to people, trying to console people, trying to comfort people. When the one who gives us the strength is not even being connected with. David would say in Psalm 16, it's quoted by Peter in Acts 2. <laughs> Lord, would you just do it? I ask you to do this. Do this, what I'm about to say, about to quote in our lives. I was always beholding the Lord in my presence because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Now, there are times when the human side of us, we, we see with natural eyes, we hear audible sounds with these natural ears. The Lord would say that the, that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Sometimes the flesh, the human, rises up and just shouts. And we've got to understand that that's not the Lord talking. The Lord isn't freaked out. The Lord isn't panicking. The Lord hasn't been surprised. The Lord hasn't changed one iota of his plan for your life. But if I only listen to people, and I only listen to the voice of my flesh, my humanity, I may not even be tuned in at all to the voice of the Lord wanting to speak his truth. Where did David get that encouragement? It didn't come from his men. It came out of heaven. You say, well, that was David. Well, let me tell you about David. David didn't have what you and I have with regard to the resident presence of the Spirit of the living Jesus inside our hearts. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit, Paul would say. If David could be spoken to, if David could hear it in the places of his assignment, at the points of needing great encouragement, if David could hear it, that is not intended in Scripture just to be an isolated example of what God might be able to do sometime with somebody way back yonder. That is a proof text of what God is able to do and wants to do in your heart and in my heart. To take a step, to walk away. You know, young mothers with babies in the house have to be incredibly creative to get away. My mom, my mother, my saintly mother, when I, me and my two sisters were, you know, knee high to a turtle. And we were all in the house together. She said, I, I would just cry, Lord, I, I need to talk to you. But I got these three little ones pulling on my skirt and wanting something to eat and crying, need a diaper change. Mom said what I had to do. <laughs> I just went to the bathroom. I went in the bathroom, closed the door, and that's where I would be to reconnect with him. Because I couldn't get the strength from the ones that I needed to give leadership to. They were too little. She said sometimes 
my, the littlest one, my little sister Ann, would knock on that door, try to get in that door when mom was trying to have her time with the Lord in the bathroom, sitting on the toilet with the lid down. Now, some of you say, oh, that's just gross. How could that ever happen? There are some moms that would say, I, I see that. Hey, grandmothers, I could see that. She said, my little sister would knock on that door and try to get through the door, and sometimes she'd just let her come in, or she'd just sit there together, sit with, with Ann in her lap, lid on the toilet, door closed, talking to the Lord. You say, that's the craziest, dumbest thing. Well, you know what? If it works, if it works, do it on steroids. Find your closet. Find the front seat of your truck. Go out in your backyard. Leave town if you can. But somehow, some way, David had to get away. Or all of the noise, you hear it, of panic and fear and depression would be the only voice that he would hear. Folks, what I'm trying to say to you, as a leader whom God has put in the position he's put you in, getting away is not a luxury. It is a necessity. Don't apologize for it. There'll be times when folks say, Pastor, I need to see you. I've got an appointment. I have an appointment. If they ask who it was, you know, I'd tell them. It's the Lord Jesus Christ by His Spirit, and He needs to see me, wants to see me more than you got to say something to me. I don't apologize for that. It's more important for a preacher, a leader, to be in tune this way than it is for a preacher or a leader to just be trying to pat everybody on the back, burp the babies, and make everybody feel good. When there is a word from the Lord, there's a direction from His heart to get us back up and get us going again. You pursue that. David, spoken of as the man after God's own heart, Jesus would be called the son of David. Listen to this describing Jesus. This is Luke chapter 5, verse 16. But he, Jesus, he himself, would often slip away into the wilderness to pray. He would often, often slip away. There were times, and you can find it in your, your reading through of the Gospels, there were times when the disciples didn't even know where he was. And there might have been hundreds, if not thousands of people trying to see Jesus. Peter's saying to John, you seen him? I ain't seen him. James, where'd he go? Have not got a clue. But here's what would happen when Jesus was away from the crowds. He would say, I only do what I see my Father doing. I only speak what the Father has commanded me to speak. In other words, Jesus did not randomly go through humanity doing miracles of His own choosing. 
He says, the only one that I've seen today is Bartimaeus. I've seen Zacchaeus. And there was power unleashed to accomplish the healing and the victories in various ways because Jesus had been away with his father long enough to see what his father wanted done. The enemy works overtime to try to distract us. We get off, I need to get away, and we keep the radio on. Need to get away, and we keep TV on. That's not getting away and into his presence. The point is to get away, not just to get away, but to get away and get into his presence. To feel his presence, to sense his presence, to speak out of your heart to him. And I grow concerned sometimes for believers that we call it prayer, and it's not prayer at all. We're just saying words into the air. We're not aware we're talking to somebody. Prayer is only true prayer when you're aware that somebody you're talking to is listening to you, is in the room, is in the place. Otherwise, it's just words. But he wants to make his presence known. Jeremiah would say, pour out your complaint before the Lord. It doesn't just have to be great things, easy things, smooth things, as in this case. Where David was encouraging himself in the Lord, he was getting away, and more than likely he was he would say, Lord, you see it. You know what you know what's happened. But Lord, as you have been before, so you are today. You're my strength. If I go down, I'm going down believing that you are my strength. If they kill me, they'll kill me with the last gasp of breath out of my lungs being, I trust you, Jesus. I bless you, Jesus. I praise you. Get away. Get away. Someone, why am I to handle this better? Why am I to handle Are you spending all your time with people? Are you spending all your time with sounds? It can be, and I'm not saying that the Lord can't use tapes, and He can't or tapes. There I go. That dates me. That he, that he can't use information digitally transferred, right? Music. But sometimes that stuff just gets in the way, and He wants you to know that He picked you out and He chose you, and His heart is to speak to you what you need to know. Get away. Second one, do this quickly. Go low. Go low. Get away. Go low. Meaning, David would say in Psalm 139, search me and try me, O Lord. Search my heart, examine my heart, and see if there is any hurtful way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. David was well aware of the law of the harvest. That we can, by making wrong choices, saying wrong things, we can sow wrong seeds, bad seeds that come back to get us. Come back to hurt us. 
It, it, it was the practice of David, I believe, and again and again is a practice of, of saints over the years. When something comes, when trouble comes, when trouble hits, the first thing to ask, God, is it me? Is it something that I've done, Lord, that I left the door open? Is this, is this the law of the harvest bringing something back that I didn't want or didn't intend? But, but is this me? Is this something about me? The good news is, if it's something about you, if it's some sin that you or I have committed, He so desires for us to stay in fellowship, relationship, close contact with Him, that He will tell us, He will tell you, if it's something that needs to be confessed. Satan will paint with this broad stroke, this broad roller brush. You're you're all guilty, forever guilty, never can be changed. He'll never deal with the specific. Because the specifics, when they are confessed, are forgiven. And they're removed as far as the east is from the west. And that law of the harvest can be abated in many senses because we have confessed our sin. That's the place of humility. When we say go low, go low. Lord, is it me? Is there something that I've opened the door to that's allowing this? And give him time to answer. The good news is that the Holy Spirit will shine a light, will will tell us. But the reason that his specific conviction of sin is important to us is that that way we can climb out of the pit. We confess the specific sin that we climb down. We confess that and we can climb back up. By His grace, confessing sin, believing in His mercy, trusting in His mercy. Now in this case, which can be the case again and again, that this didn't happen to David because of something that David had done. But I believe that it would be his procedure Search me, O God, and try me. Search my heart. What I can't see, you can see. I want it to be shown to me as you see it. Because what I need more than anything else is your favor. I don't want to grieve your heart. I don't want there to be the diminishing of the flow of your power because I need your strength. So you are the most important one to please in my life. Show me where I've offended you. David would say in Psalm 18, I'll just reference it. But he'll say, the Lord delivered me because he delighted in me. He delighted in me because he found in me no unconfessed, no runaway sin controlling my life. I've sought to live my life pleasing to Him and obedient to Him. And as a result of that, because of that, He delivered me. He's referencing what happened at Ziklag and the deliverance that came from it, at least in part. Deliverance came because my God delighted in me. Somewhere in that place of his being away, getting away and going down, Lord, show me. And the Lord reassured him that it wasn't him. It was going to be a demonstration of his power. And so he gets up, strengthened, 
knowing that it wasn't his fault, but that the Lord was present and the Lord would deliver. Then he tells the priest to go get the, a means whereby there was a symbolic sense of the Lord's presence through a high priest's garment. And, and then he would ask the Lord in the company of the priest, Lord, what do I do? And the Lord said, pursue them. You'll find them. You'll overtake them. Everything be restored, will be restored. Nothing will be lost. Folks, the devil doesn't have to kill us to remove us from effectiveness. All he wants to try to do is to discourage us so that we won't get up and go again. It's a done deal. David, if David had not gotten up and gone on, we wouldn't be reading about Jesus calling him the son of himself, the son of David. But because David, God's appointed leader, knew how to find God's strength to get away, to get away, to get away, to get away, to get away. It's not a luxury, it's a necessity. You've got an appointment. Keep it. I'm not, that sounded kind of mean to say it that way. Maybe I smile, put a smile on my face. You've got an appointment with the Lord who loves you, love of your soul. He, he's, he's Father, Savior, Comforter, God. He, he's the supplier of everything we have. He wants to meet with you. Not, without, not with anyone else crowding the conversation. Keep it. Permission to get away from the call to go low. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You know what the word wait is? The word wait is a word that speaks of humility and submission. New strength, the strength of eagles, conveyed to those who will humble ourselves beneath His leadership and wait in His presence for Him to do what He's promised to do. The best leaders are diligent followers. The best leaders are diligent followers. Who are you under? Who are you under? Well, then if it is the Lord, surrender to you, Lord, you, I want you to lead my life. Then it means that I will be dedicated to trying to live in such a way that He is pleased. Because out from His heart of power, out from His heart of bounteous love for us, flows His Lord, wherever this needs to go, will you please take it by your Spirit? If these words have not been complete, exactly right, and I'm sure many of them haven't, will you somehow take the main thrust of what you've wanted us to hear and make it clear and make it strong?
Lord, let it burn with life and freedom. We were singing, break every chain. You are the one who breaks every chain. Lord, the chain of discouragement, the chain of discouragement, the shackles, the weight that would cause us to think I can't get up and go again. Break it, Lord. But break it, we would pray, by the power of your presence, your strength, coming alive in us is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Would you stand with me, please? Prayer partners, if you'll join me at the front. I need to say this again. Somebody in leadership who is being confronted with something similar to what David was confronted with needs to hear this with hope and with a future. Get away and get with Him. Go low. Let Him inventory your heart. Confess, repent of the sin. Receive the mercy. Receive the forgiveness. Receive the sense of His presence. And when He says, get up, stand up, Step back into the place of God-assigned authority and enforce my authority through your life. That's what David got up to do, to enforce the Lord's authority against the Amalekites. God wasn't going to do it for David. God won't do everything for you and me. We can pray all day, and there's some things he's saying, I'll strengthen you, but you're going to have to do it. I'll strengthen you. Now get up. Trust me as you go. He wants us to see and enter into the joy of being partners with Him. He's in heaven. We're on earth. Kingdom of God, will of God be done on this earth as it is in heaven. We are His feet. We are His hands. We are His mouth. Get after it. You know? But if the enemy can keep us from speaking, if the enemy can try to shut down our obedience, he doesn't have to kill us. He's just neutered us in our families, in our work, wherever we are. Let's don't go there. If we can pray for you, pray with you, stand with you, this isn't about fussing at anybody for, for feeling the weight of difficult places and times. They're real. David cried until he couldn't cry anymore. But then he strengthened himself in the Lord. That's what this is about. And then the breakthrough came. And then the rest of his destiny began to unfold. Okay. Let us hear from your streaming family folks here. Pastor Walker at AlamoCity.org. If there is something we can pray with you about, stand with you in, we want to do that. Our intercessors are, are dutifully tasked, and they're on the job praying and trusting with you. Thank you for your support in all kinds of different ways, and we stand with you in prayer. Leaders, leaders, this is for leaders. This is for leaders, and that's if you're a mom, you're a leader. A dad, you're a leader. Business person, retired, you're a leader. Okay. God bless you. Come this way, we can pray for you. See you next time. Hug somebody's neck around you if they look like they'd let you, you know. Just encourage one another as we leave this place. God bless you. Thank you for being patient listening this morning. Thank you.